this is Tom Pasello, the ROI guy, and welcome to the Evolvers podcast, sponsored by sales enablement platform provider, Mediafly. Our mission is to provide you with the independent insights, community advice, and tools to guide your sales, content, and value enablement journey, and to fuel your professional evolution. My guest today is Nancy Narden. She's the leading sales technology expert and founder of the decision resource site, Smart Selling Tools. You likely have seen her weekly video reviews and hopefully you're leveraging her in-depth insights and advice to help guide your sales technology decision-making. I'm excited to have the state of the landscape and Nancy's view of that on our podcast today. Evolvers, please welcome Nancy Narden. Hi, Nancy. Good to be here, Tom. Excellent. So, so nice to have you. Um, we were catching up, and I, I think we agreed that the last time we connected, particularly for an interview like this, was just prior to the pandemic. And uh, at the same time, you know, I know I was in a new city every week, like most road warriors, and I know that your business has changed quite a bit since then. Um, discuss some of the challenges that you're seeing and the changes since. Hmm. Well, yeah, it has been an interesting change for lots of different reasons. The travel is a big one. You know, reps just and customers or prospects don't want to meet in person. And obviously we couldn't for the longest time. Now we can. So we'll start to see some of that travel pick up. But I think the challenge is how do we still connect with our prospects in a meaningful way when we can't be there in person? you know, and let's face it, there's a, it is a different feel when you go out and you're meeting with someone and you take them to dinner and you, uh, they, or they come to your facility and they tour your plant or whatever it is. I mean, that's how you build relationships. So that there is a challenge there and how, how do we do that now that we're remote? Yeah, I completely agree. And I think that, you know, there's a lot of operations folks that look at the travel savings and they're not going to let it come back in a lot of ways, unless we kind of prove that the effectiveness is getting hurt or that the effectiveness could be that much more superior within person. But I agree when you have to do a workshop or a co-creation of a solution or creativity that way, it's hard to replicate that in a Zoom meeting. And then I agree, I think it's hard to replicate those, um, those more intimate moments of getting to know someone over lunch or over dinner or at a conference where you and I have met in person before, right? And it's, yeah. it's hard to replicate that. So um, I do think that we'll see kind of a, this hybrid model, which everyone is talking about. But um, I, I, I know there are definitely extroverts that are dying to get back on the road because they miss the energy of being yes. with other people, right? And a lot of sellers are extroverts. That's right. That's a good point. Yeah, they, they, they feed off of that. That energy is what gets them going and gets them pumped up for the day is to know they're going to be heading out on a plane and going and seeing a bunch of customers or prospects. And if you don't have that, how do you stay motivated? That's an interesting point. Absolutely. And I think that you're seeing some sellers get, you know, depressed or in a funk or other things like that, right? So there's a psychological aspect to this that we need to maybe get some of our op- more operationally focused or fiscally focused uh, decision makers kind of in tune with. 
Uh, but yeah. at the same time, I, I know, you know, kind of like you, that you're probably able to do a lot more when you don't have to jump on an airplane and deal with all the travel and the delays and um, just the time that it takes. And then the other thing I love is the ability not only to participate in more engagements during the week, but also as a coach, being able to listen in because of technology, like, you know, the, the intelligence solutions to be able to record those calls, listen in, have annotations and be able to then coach next steps, coach better, be, you know, behaviors and improvements and other things like that. And when you're in person, it's not like those calls are being recorded in most instances. That's right. I think the economics of selling is has changed forever because um, as you say, you know, people don't necessarily need to get on a plane anymore. And so maybe even those people who are extroverts and like to do that, I think equally they're saying to themselves, you know what, it's, it's nice to be home with my family a little more than I was, you know, and that whole lifestyle change is getting people to rethink things. And then, then you get back to the economic side of it. And, you know, do I really need to get on a plane or can I just handle that over a Zoom call and still be just as effective? Exactly. Um, so, yeah, I think I think individuals and companies are rethinking and it's going to change forever, in my opinion, to yeah. some degree. Right. I, no, I degree. agree. I agree. And I think it's going to take a while to figure out where it eventually settles on. But, mm -hmm. you know, we need to at least make sure that we're optimizing the exact motion that we're taking today, because this could be perhaps more persistent than what we're thinking. Yeah. Um, with that in mind, now that we're predominantly digital and at the best gonna be kind of hybrid in the future, um, content near and dear to my heart and the role of content is probably more important than ever. Talk about some of the things you're seeing in terms of content. Well, you're, you're so right, the content is more important than ever. It's always been super important. <laughs> now it's even more important. And I, I just happened to get a demand gen report uh, survey results on a mm -hmm. survey they did on B2B buying decision making. And it, a lot of that was about content and what kinds of content is important to you. And there were a couple of uh, key findings that I pulled out from the, from the study. And one was that, um, the number of people that, or, or purchases that are made with a buying committee is going up. Yes. And we always have known that, look, that a lot of purchases are made with a buying committee, but in their, in their study before, it was 49% had buying committees. And now an additional 19% said they are going to be, or are now using buying committees. So when you have buying committees, now all of a sudden you've got lots of different content because you've got different personas and they all have different interests or um, ways that they want to get an ROI. So they, you know, they want to be talked to in a different way and they want different kinds of information. So that is, I think, very interesting that we're just seeing that go up more and more in terms of more people, more people on each committee and more companies using committees to, uh, to buy. It's definitely a way to reduce risk as an individual decision maker. There's a lot of risk on you. And so the organizations are realizing that, hey, if we get a committee involved, 
uh, we, that risk can be distributed. So if you're the individual, you can put the decision on the committee. And then if you're the organization, you can make sure that maybe some emotion is taken out of the equation and decisions are hopefully more logical. Um, but there are a lot of, uh, you know, cartoons, Dilbert's about decision by committee. So we'll, right. see if, we'll see if indeed there is better decision making that goes on. But as a seller, you know, you do have to make sure that you're speaking to as many people as you can on the decision making committee. And then if you're not reaching everyone, which you cannot nowadays in big enterprise decisions, how are you making sure that your champion, your mobilizer is armed to make the case for you? and to stand out and differentiate to that. That's a really good point. Yeah, that's a really good point. I, I just, I did want to mention, you know, on the committees that I think it's also a sign that companies, apart from the risk aspect, that companies are looking to align better mm -hmm. within their different organizations. So if I'm in marketing, I want to make sure that I'm, I'm working closely with sales and we understand and we're working in conjunction with our objectives and how we're being measured and you know we're not just siloed yeah. and that extends now to customer service or customer success um, and even sales ops and pre-sales so I, I think there's a lot of alignment taking or an effort to be more aligned um, yeah taking place. I, I love that mm -hmm. as well and I don't know if the demand gen report spoke to it, but I would imagine that buyers are seeking more information to make better decisions. And now with different personas, they're consuming more. Um, and then at the same time, probably sellers are sharing more. Yeah. And look, we have to, this has been, this trend has been happening for a while that mm -hmm. buyers want free access to information and free meaning don't control everything. You know, I want to be able to get what I need mm -hmm. and not have you as a sales organization getting in my way, right? And we know that a lot of, you know, that whole stat about 70 to 80% of the sales cycle is done before reaching out to a salesperson. Well, but we're still as sales organizations trying to hold on to a lot of that control. So to be able to offer those buyers information on pricing and how to make sense of pricing and how to calculate an ROI and to understand what to look for to, to measure whether or not you're going to get an ROI. That's all really critical for sales organizations to be able to provide to their buyers and they're, they're just going to have to get over this, this false sense of yeah but I need to have and maintain that control. And you're mentioning some newer forms of content. So, you know, content that we can think of before, like these big white papers and these big, you know, product brochures and big technically deep data sheets. Uh, I mean, I think some of that content could possibly still be useful for the really deep dive kind of decision makers, but a lot of it is shorter attention spans. Um, a desire to have things much more personalized and then to be much more interactive and insightful, right, to them in particular. And so interactive content, I know Demand Gen Report in their prior reports have written about the rise of interactive and the capabilities that it can provide. Uh, talk to that and what you're seeing on the interactive content front. Yeah, I think it has to do with attention and time, both of which are, are precious resources. Mm -hmm. And buyers want, you know, it, it, 
you are not going to be able to get my attention if I'm a buyer to sit down and read a really long white paper, unless I'm at a certain point in the buying cycle, mm -hmm. right, where I really need to get in. Now, it's almost like to reinforce the decision that I'm, or the decision path I'm heading down. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, now I do want to dive deep and I want to uh, validate my thinking. But most of that research needs to be much more engaging and interactive so that I can just get what I want. It's interesting. I see that you as a vendor, potential supplier, uh, have taken the time to, to give me the information in the form that I want to get the information. So that already tells me that you're a, maybe a good vendor to work with. So in other words, I get a better buying experience. One of the things, Nancy, that we've worked on and worked with clients on is the concept of kind of create your own journey type um, content so that based on the challenge you have, you can go deep on that challenge, but you know, kind of skip over the other things that may not be of interest to you, right? So it gets you deeper into the content that you truly care about. And the other thing you can do is you can layer that. So you can kind of think about a typical presentation that a seller would give and you know, they walk you through linearly slide after slide after slide, whether you're interested or not, right? We're going to feed you that information. I've got a deck and I'm going to get through it. Gosh darn it, no matter what. Instead now, it's basically interactive discovery that the seller is enabled to do with the buyer. And based on that discovery, they can click on an element and drill into it and then even drill further and then go to additional assets. And they can give that presentation to the buyer champion who then share it with other stakeholders and they can create their own journey through that content or you can provide it to guide them through the same path that you provided in the meeting in that fashion we're really helping to personalize target make sure everything is persona based focus it on challenges and really get a much more interesting and differentiated engagement experience Yes, I, I'm seeing that as well, and and seeing it being self-directed is just as important as having the, the the seller work with the buyer to go through the journey they want to go through. This whole concept of why can't I, as a buyer, why can't you enable me with content and trust me to find the content that's going to be the most relevant means you have to have that content, but give it to me in a way that I can seek and get to the as you say, take the journey I want to take mm -hmm. uh, to get the content that is meaningful to me. And then you as a selling organization get a lot of great data from that because you can see what not only that particular customer or prospect is interested in, but overall where the market's headed. I completely agree. And you can see how that content is either helping to drive deals forward to revenue or maybe is not having an impact that you expected. So not only just what content is used, but is it shared? Is it consumed? Is it shared within the buying committee? And then you correlate it back to revenue and advancing of the sales deal and then ultimately revenue achievement. And you can have an incredible amount of visibility in this whole field of revenue intelligence is I think going to be one of the biggest focus points because uh, you know, just producing more content, I don't think is going to, you know, first of all, it's unaffordable for most organizations. And so you've got to be really smart with what you're investing in. 
And then we tend to overload sellers and customers too, if we don't have this intelligence to direct the best behaviors and the best investments. Thoughts that's on a, that? Yeah, yeah. I, that's what, the reason that's so important is that buyers, um, they don't wanna have to wade through a lot. It's not about having more content. It's about having the right content for me. Now that may mean that as an organization, you have to have a lot more content, but it's not so that that prospect gets all that content. It's so that you can slice and dice it or the prospect can and get just what they need. Yeah, um, from a prospect perspective, we see you know, this concept of information overload, right? And it's mm -hmm. been proven in neuroscience tests that uh, if you've got a lot of choice, it attracts people to, to you know, the store, quote unquote, but, it, it actually slows down the decision-making process because think about it, the buyer's getting content from you, they're getting content from the internet, they're getting content from other solution providers, overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. And what happens when we're overwhelmed? You shut down, you kind of go into possum mode. We all do that with our own personal decision-making. Throw that into the mix of you're already overwhelmed with a different you know, post-pandemic environment and all of the uncertainty there. And if you overload your customers with just too much, I think that it can really lead to a lot of no decisions. And we're definitely seeing the no decision kind of rates in terms of deals lost to no decision versus the competition and wins definitely ticking up a lot. Hmm. That's interesting. So that tells me that um, it could be that there's changing priorities uh, it could be that the fact that more buying committees are being used is kind of confusing things or people mm -hmm. aren't coming together and making decisions that say, you know, they're not able to come to agreement. And so things just kind of freeze up. Yeah. Um, it could mean that there are some, uh, you know, organizational changes that are taking place. That's certainly happening. So there, So a lot of that is happening. And at the same time, what I've seen in terms of research is that organizations are, are wanting to speed up the buying of, of certain technologies. Yeah. And, and, and that's good news for everyone, unless you end up where you're just confused because first of all, the vendors aren't helping you by telling you what you, questions you should be asking and what you should be looking for. Um, they're not giving the right content, it's just too much about them you know, uh, rather than th them being the vendor, right? Yeah. So I'm going to tell you all about my product and why it's so good and blah, 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 but I'm not going to help you understand what you, what's important to you. Right? So that's the kind of content I think we need to start to provide a little bit more uh, of. And there's, you know, probably no better example of that than pricing. You know, mm -hmm. still organizations don't want to uh, offer up their pricing, even if it's a SaaS product, a software product that people can subscribe to. Always that far right column is the enterprise that leaves no pricing, you know, mm -hmm. contact us for enterprise information. And and that, in, in ter and actually um, the Demand Gen Report survey did find that pricing, 82%, uh, that was the number one thing, or the that was the number one thing. 82% said pricing is the number one thing that we are interested in finding out about. And yet yeah. we as vendors, we hold that back. 
uh, features and functionality. I don't, uh, hopefully I'm not misrepresenting any of the data they provide. I would suggest people go there to their website and download the report. But the second most important thing was features and functionality. And to me, that reads of um, ROI and value. Right? Mm -hmm. what, what kind of functionality, what kind of capability are you going to give me for what price and therefore how can I determine whether this is going to be a good investment for me? Yeah, uh, and so Nancy, I, I do love that report and I know I'll certainly digest it and have probably one or two articles written from it because I do, yeah. do respect that research a lot. Yeah, it's a good I one. Think, I think you're really hitting on something important in that buyers really do want to uh, implement solutions, implement change and get these decisions done quicker. And they're struggling, which is a great opportunity. They're struggling with fiscal and budget constraints, changing priorities, the consensus building, and then the overload. And therein lies this almost, I wouldn't say once in a lifetime, but a really salient opportunity for a smart seller to where if you could be that facilitator, if you could be that concierge, that Sherpa, to really help to streamline to help to gain consensus, to help to overcome the fiscal and budget constraints with financial justification, to help to make sure the priorities are aligned and they could see how you know, it's going to impact them. And to make sure that you're not overloading them and just freezing the whole process, I think therein lies an incredible opportunity. And when we say, oh, you know, is B2B buying uh, sellers dead and in the buying process, because everyone's doing it digitally? Heck no. This is the opportunity where a great seller will take charge and be that amazing facilitator of, you know, making a good decision. And because there's so much consensus that has to be developed, I like to think about them as being also not only a facilitator of change and justification, but as an ambassador of trust which is becoming Boy. so important in this environment too, where trust is the biggest decision factor, I think, of moving forward. Do we trust that this purchase is gonna give us value and not get us to lose our job? And then ultimately, do we trust who it is that we're putting our, our money into, right? There's a twofold trust process going on, internal and external. Yeah, absolutely. And, um... You you said the use the word facilitator, right? That the salespeople can really facilitate, and that's what they should be doing mm -hmm. is facilitating. And 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 he also said, you know, I don't see sales or sellers going away, <clears throat> um, or something to that effect, right? That they're mm -hmm. going to be more needed than ever. But I would also ask a, another challenging question, which is, why why do buyers need do buyers really need a salesperson now? I'm not saying that they don't, yeah. but I want people to ask that question to, to, to ask the very next question, which is why? Mm -hmm. Why do they need the seller? Do they really need them for a lot of the things that we want to provide as a salesperson? No, that's what you as a vendor need them to do. Yeah. What buyers want from salespeople is different. They yeah. want a facilitator. They want someone to help them think through it and to be asking good questions and to add value during the process. Don't just, don't just talk to me about features and function and that sort of thing. So I say, ask yourself, why do buyers need your salespeople? And are you making, paving the way for those salespeople to, to, to 
to um, play that role or are you asking them to play a different role? Yeah, and Nancy, I look at it like when I, my first sales job, I was an engineer and I'm like, I want to learn a little bit more about sales and marketing. I loved real estate part-time on Long Island. I got my real estate license and on the weekends and evenings, I would, you know, be an agent. And at the time, you know, we owned the MLS system. There was no Zillow. There was, I remember wasn't that. Yep. Like that. Yeah. And so if you wanted to know anything about properties for sale, other than looking in the back of the newspaper or real estate magazine, you, there was no you information. had to go. That's right. Yeah. So there's all the features and functions and price and everything that kind of we arm our sellers with today is what real estate agents had back in the day. Now you fast forward that and Zillow provides uh, way more information than the MLS ever did. Not only That's is it the great analogy. The house, but amazing pictures and videos and, and you've got all of the price history and all of the tax history and comps and education. And so as a real estate agent, you're not providing any features and functions anymore. That's right. I mean, you are in that. You are, but, but what are you doing? Right. You're, First of all, you're, there's overload with Zillow. So yes. you narrow it down to, you told me your specs. Here, I've curated these properties for you. So the first thing you're doing is you're getting rid of all the noise and the overload. And you're saying, look, I know that can be an overwhelming process. You've got a wealth of content on your hands, a wealth of information. But here's the three properties that I think are going to be significant. And you can certainly have insider information too to maybe add another two or three, right? Which is the other big thing. But a lot of times what the new agents are doing is they're facilitators of the whole process. If you're a seller, they're helping you to stage your home and helping walk you through every piece of paperwork and every provider you need and explaining the process. And they're really managing the process way more than we ever did back in the day. And same thing on the on the buying side, you know, they're they're making sure that, you know, here's the mortgage that you should use and here's the, the exact procedure you can have. And they're building consensus between the partners that are buying that property. So it is much more of a facilitator and an ambassador of trust than it is about, you know, a, an educator or a teacher or an information provider like it was in the past. Thoughts on that? Such a great analogy. I mean, it's a perfect analogy. And I think it gets back to the economics, how, how the economics of selling is changing. Because to use your example, do you want your realtors sitting down with someone who is just curious and wants to kind of go through a lot of properties and, you know, they don't really know what they want. And so now you've got your realtors spending time at this stage when they could be doing something to actually bring in deals. Yeah. So that whole economics is, um, it's allowing the economics to get a lot better for sales organizations. If we're just willing to, I, I still see some legacy companies where they, you know, no, they want the salesperson to quote control the process and, you know, it just doesn't work that way anymore. So they're going to, they're going to, they're dinosaurs at this point. Yeah, I agree. And I love your question, maybe combining this. So why do you need sellers and how can we make our sellers be more like modern real estate agents than ever before? And they said the same thing about real estate agents, by the way, with the advent of Zillow and the other, yeah. they're, they're dinosaurs, right? They're going to go away. Yet, if yeah. you look at the statistics, we actually have more agents in the United States today than ever before. And not just based on population growth and increases, but per capita, they're actually more valuable. Wow. Now. 
unless wow, that's fascinating. Yeah. Now, I don't know if that continues. I mean, there's still yeah, it's yeah. an antiquated system in terms of fee structure and other things, right? So mm -hmm. I do think there's another evolution of where we get to with the agency process. And could some of the consensus building and automation occur? Absolutely. But, you know, it was something that 10 years ago, everyone said was going to disappear with the advent of new technology in the internet. And it's been the exact opposite. I do think B2B selling is at that same inflection point where I think we may have more sellers come out of this than less, um, even though everyone's thinking that. We could, you know, we could yeah. Um, what's going to happen, though, in order for those sellers to be good facilitators is uh, that it is going to require some different skill sets. You know, we're not looking for salespeople that can just learn all about the product and go through a presentation one slide after the other. Uh, we need sellers that can have conversations that can help uh, have intelligent, offer in, intelligent opinions and ideas, uh, guide the prospect you know, add value. And for that, we're going to need training and a, a really good solid training and coaching program and different types of content for mm -hmm. sellers to use internally. Absolutely. Yeah. And it becomes less of a job of convincing. And like you said, more of a, a job of guiding, right? Mm -hmm. Through the entire, whether it be a process or the content or the solution or anything else. Nancy, what's the one piece of advice you'd like to leave our Evolvers community with today? Well, um, I guess if, if your Evolvers community are mostly practitioners who are trying to make sense of, you know, what do we do? What are the steps that we can take to make our or sales or and or marketing organization more uh, effective and efficient? Um, I think the advice I would give is to think about where, where is the friction in the sales cycle today? Where's the friction and or the buying cycle, right? Because we know we have buyers and we have to look at it from their perspective. So if I'm a seller, where am I getting hung up? Where am I spending the most time? Um, and what can we do to change that? And, and it doesn't always have to be a big, huge uh solution that you have to buy. Mm -hmm. I, I think I, I, I've told the story maybe even with you before about UPS and how they went about eliminating the left-hand turns uh, because that slowed down the trucks. They had to stop for cross traffic. It was more dangerous, more liable to get into accidents, burn more fuel, etc. So by rerouting and coming up with, you know, they spent a lot of money to do it, but to come up with uh, the right algorithms and software to direct the, the, basically just turn right and then right again. <laughs> so look for those friction points where you say, you know what, we're spending a lot of energy. We're spending a lot of fuel, uh, just sitting idle. What are those types of things that we're doing that we can, if we eliminate it, we can, sh you know, our productivity will, uh, you know, will will increase dramatically, and it doesn't have to be a big, huge solution to solve that problem. Going back to my early product leadership days, one of the mantras that I had was when I was launching a new product, I'm like, "How do I make this solution easy to buy?" And I think just answering sometimes that simple yeah. question through every yes. stage of the decision process. That's it. How do I make this easy to buy and easy to re repurchase and renew? Yes. And, 
you know, that we're that we're in this kind of subscription cycle. Great so it's question. Not just one purchase, but you know, yeah. maybe it comes down to just can you confidently answer that simple question? Uh-huh. Yes. And in fact, that's the question to ask to do what I just suggested they do. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, how do you do what I just suggested? You ask that. Ask yourself that question. How can we make it easier to buy? Because when we do that, we make it easier to sell. Awesome. Nancy, how can people find and reach you online? Oh, well, go to smartsellingtools.com. We've got a lot of free resources, like you said, decision resources, uh, recorded uh, interviews with people who have bought the sales tools. Uh, so you can learn from that, videos, et cetera, but also LinkedIn. I'm a big LinkedIn user. So connect with me there and uh, be happy to have conversations uh, and, re- and um, connect with you as well. Nancy, I said in the beginning, you know, hopefully folks have already leveraged some of the research and reviews and guides that you provide. And if they haven't, definitely check out Smart Selling Tools, uh, in-depth reviews, and resources to really help you make a decision for some of this technology, the tools that can help you to automate some of the things that we talked about today. So definitely take advantage of all the hard work that Nancy has put in to make, to yeah, to basically be the curator of what you need to know to make smart selling tool decisions. Thank you. And I just, you know, you, we talked about when there's too much choice. Well, we're up to 1,100 sales technologies now. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of choice. So one of the things that I've tried to do for my audience is to say, look, if you just watch a three-minute video on my recommended technology of the week, that'll give you an idea. Hey, that looks in interest or no, that doesn't look like that can help us. So it's, it's helping hopefully to shortcut through what are the types of technologies we should be considering. Yeah, and 1100. Yeah, definitely. It's it's attractive, but it will freeze you in place unless you have great curators. So Nancy, thank you for everything that you do. My pleasure. Thank yeah, you. Thanks for participating in the interview in the Evolvers community, making it a great and growing community at that. And until next time, Evolvers, keep evolving.